0: This is Issues and Interviews. And now, here's Kieran Michael Lawler on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: Welcome back to Issues and Interviews with Kieran Michael Lawler. Big show today. We're going to go straight to our state capitol and get an update on the colossal budget mess that is unfolding in Albany. Direct from Senator Dan Stack, a good man, a straight shooter. He'll tell us exactly what's going on behind the scenes up there, where your $200 are being spent and how they're being spent. You'll get all that in this episode of Issues and Interviews. Also, it's baseball season. You know, I love baseball. My sons play it or played it. I played it. I watched the Yankees. And I also love baseball history. New documentary out about Reggie Jackson. And he participated in it and fascinating documentary, good stuff if you're a baseball fan. But a couple of things I want to push back on, a couple of critical race theory type ideas that he puts forth in that, I want to push back on and and have a discourse on. And also, he really maligned as a racist, an all-time Yankee legend, and I want to defend a dead Yankee legend from those accusations since that legend isn't around to defend himself. We'll get to all that. But first, a little New York State politics that has national ramifications. As you know, in November 2022, Republicans picked up the House of Representatives. We won the U.S. House of Representatives. A lot of it had to do with five new Congress members from New York State, from Long Island and the Hudson Valley. And I live in the Hudson Valley and Long Island, obviously a big part of the New York metropolitan area, along with the Hudson Valley. And Control of the House of Representatives going forward could come down to these really six races that are already starting to heat up. They just started January 1st, but it's a two-year term in the House of Representatives. So you have the Democrats really rallying to try to take back the House through New York. So I wanna talk quickly about each of those six seats. First of all, you got George Santos, probably the most famous and infamous member of the freshman class of Republicans, the guy, is an Olympian when it comes to telling lies about himself and, and hyping up his biography with things that aren't true. I think he's done. You haven't really heard his name that much. Some of the accusations have died down, but either he's going to lose in November, 2024, or the House Essex Committee is going to come out with some damaging stuff, or he's going to get indicted and probably have to leave office. So that seat is really up for grabs. Will the people in that swing district go for another Republican after the Santos debacle? Not sure, not sure I'd be happy with the Republican Party if I lived in, in that district. So that's a tough one. Then you got Congressman Lalota also on Long Island, kind of an establishment guy, won a seat, kind of a swing seat, depending on how the presidential election goes. He may or may not be reelected, but that that is still very much up for grabs and, and, and very much subject to the macro political environment of 2024, which no one in April, 2023 can predict. So that's kind of out there. In a yet-to-be-determined situation, some of it will be depending on his own fundraising, Lolo's own fundraising. Some of it will be dependent on his campaign skills and campaign effort and campaign machine that he sets up. And as an incumbent, that's easier to do than as a challenger. So he does have the value of incumbency there, but that's going to be a tough one to defend. Then you also on Long Island, you got retired New York City police officer, Anthony D'Esposito. Solid guy, solid conservative, principled guy. I'm not even in Long Island, but I'm I'm familiar with his work and I'm an admirer of his. And I think he'll be solid. Of the three Long Island seats, I think that's the most likely to be held by Republicans when the election comes in 2024. Now moving to my own backyard, quite literally, the Hudson Valley, three seats here Republicans took. One is Brandon Williams. First of all, greatest campaign slogan of the season, let's vote Brandon. He took a His first name is Brandon. He took a little, his own take on the let's go Brandon chant, the anti-Biden chant and had his campaign slogan, let's vote Brandon, pretty clever, big time, conservative, principled guy. And here's what I like about Brandon Williams, whose district is like Syracuse, Utica, and that part of New York state. He was not the chosen one by the Republican machine. If you've been listening to the show, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative. I do not love the Republican establishment. I like certain members, like Ed Cox who has been on this show, but I do not love the Republican establishment. Itself, I find it ineffective and self serving overall. And they often put their buddies or insiders up for office and they try to keep out outsiders. Well, Brandon Williams was the outsider. The Republican machine in Washington, D.C. and in the Hudson Valley threw everything they could against him in a primary. He came out of the primary, won the general election. I think that prepares you for a, a tough re election. I think he gives you a lot to like as a voter because he really stands for stuff. And I think he's in good shape, probably the best shape of the three Hudson Valley congressional seats that the Democrats. They already have boots on the ground. If I turn on my phone, I get ads criticizing Republican members of Congress, my own member of Congress and others every time I get an ad on on any of the apps that I use. So they're already out in force, they're already spending money, they already have boots on the ground in these districts. They want these seats. I think Williams would be okay. Now shift to my own congressman who has an awesome sounding name. His name is Lawler, Mike Lawler, was my colleague in the New York State Assembly for, for one term. And then during his first term, he ran for Congress when the new districts came out. I thought he's been pretty solid. He was a McCarthy loyalist during that that battle to get McCarthy elected speaker. His district includes Dutchess County, Rockland County, where he lives, Orange County, I believe Putnam County, but kind of a, what we would call the mid-Hudson Valley here. And he knocked off the chairman of the DCCCC. Sean Patrick Maloney, he, he really slayed a big giant there, and he was solid, but, but, but he voted against, a week or two ago, he voted against the parents' Bill of Rights, very popular among Republicans. He was a co-sponsor of it and he voted against it and his stated reason was he didn't like an amendment that was added at the last minute, which required schools to tell parents if a boy was using the girls' room. I want to know that. Uh, unfortunately, that is the case in my district and in maybe every New York State district, but parents should be put on notice of that. I don't know why someone would oppose that. So that concerns me about Lawler. I don't think one vote can sink a reelection, but boy, I don't get that vote. I could see some conservatives vote against a parent's bill of rights because they say, hey, the federal government shouldn't be getting involved in, in education. That's a state issue. Okay, that I can agree with, but that wasn't his reason. His reason, he co sponsored the bill and then at the last minute changed his vote because he didn't like this added provision, which I don't know. I think a parent has a right to know that. I cannot see making the argument that, nope, don't tell a parent that your girl is going in the bathroom and there's a boy in there. You can't tell a parent that. Um, that that doesn't make sense. So that concerns me. We'll come back to haunt them. Hey, time will tell. Time will tell. We'll keep on top of it and analyze it. And then the sixth congressman, Mark Molinow, was the county executive in Dutchess County, was our candidate for governor in 2018 lost, kind of underachieved. His job was to save the Republican majority in the state Senate by helping having coattails to win state Senate seats in the Hudson Valley and beyond. It didn't happen. We lost the state Senate and it's been very much downhill in New York state ever since then. He lost last year, a special election in the middle of the summer for a congressional seat, but he did end up winning in the general election for the new congressional seat. That is basically Columbia County sweeps south of Albany out to Binghamton in that part of the state. And the problem with Molinero is he really doesn't stand for anything. He's been in politics since he was a teenager, started out as a pro-life, pro-traditional marriage politician. And when he got ambitious, wanted to run for governor, wanted to run for other things, he switched those positions. And I don't know how you could change your mind on two humongous fundamental things like that other than being ambitious and determining politically that it hurts you to hold those positions. So that concerns me. But my big concern about Molinaro, back in 2020, when the George Floyd rallies were raging, Molinaro marched in, knelt in, and spoke at a George Floyd rally and made outrageous remarks that I believe he's probably the only Republican member of Congress right now, other than Mitt Romney, to kneel at a Black Lives Rally, Black Lives Matter Rally, George Floyd Rally. But Molinaro made comments that I don't think even Romney or any other Republican in the country made at that rally where he gave this big CR speech. I'll give you a little clip right here.
0: And that while there are good and decent people who try every day to protect us, we must root out the evil that exists in the hearts of too many. Yes, that's right. We come together today out of love. I mean it. Rob may love the both of you, but I want you to know on behalf and that you have a right and a and a reason and a purpose to speak out today as the mayor said i will never know what it's like to be a person of color in america and i will not pretend to but i have the utmost respect for my need mm-hmm. my need as a white american to kneel and listen to you Yay! to ensure that as your representative here in government You're representative in government that your voices are heard. So as you shout today and you protest today, I need to ask you, please, turn the passion you have into purpose. Use it to change the outcome of policy, the outcome of elections. Use it to make a difference in the life of this country so that we can be better, so that we can heal, and that we can find our way to upholding that promise. I mean it, and I believe it. My nieces and nephews live in the city of Richmond. And they are taught to keep their eyes down and to stay forward when the police come. They are young men and women of
1: color. All right, that's all I can take of that. If I didn't tell you that that was a Republican member of Congress speaking, you would have thought it was some leftist agitator, Democrat, hard left person. But that is a Republican member of the Congress from the Hudson Valley. Unbelievable that he made those remarks in 2020. I wish a Republican primary would occur and somebody would primary him unfortunately i don't think that will happen and i think he's going to struggle to win re-election in a tough re-election cycle he's also an anti-trump guy he's a never trumper i don't think that helps him in his district so time will tell on that but right now i see the issues and interviews hotline lighting up We are joined on the issues and interviews hotline by my former colleague, now State Senator Dan Steck. How are you, Dan?
2: Good, Karen. How you been?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. By way of background, Senator Steck, before he went to Hollywood and was elected to the state senate, he had a position in the People's House, the New York State Assembly, and we started together and sat near each other in the Assembly Chamber for think eight years before he moved on to the Senate. So we're we're good friends. He's a good man. He served in the United States Navy and represents uh the Queensbury area. What's your district, Dan?
2: So I go from you know Queensbury, Southern Warren County, northern Washington County there, all the way north to the Canadian border. So Plattsburgh, swing west all the way out to Messina, Canton, and Potsdam. So the district's bigger than Connecticut and Rhode Island combined. It's the northeast (laughs) chunk of the state.
1: You putting some miles on your car?
2: Yeah, about 36000 a year I put on last year. So
1: Holy it keeps happening. Yeah. All right. All right. Good for you. So much of your district is in the Stefanik Congressional District, correct?
2: Actually, it entirely sits within her district.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. That's yeah. good. Good perspective. And for many years, you and I were up late at this time of year, late March, early April, yep. and dealing with the budget and all the delays and the dysfunction. Give us the latest from Albany right now, Senator Dan Steck.
2: Well, you got, it. and as you mentioned, you know, you and I have done a bunch of these state budgets together. And Karen, I gotta tell you, this is my eleventh budget now, and you know, it's not hyperbole. This is the most dysfunctional process this year of the eleven that I've seen. Here we are, it's April fourth today. Yesterday. They called us back in this week and next week. We're supposed to be off weeks, vacation weeks. Not that I'm complaining about no vacation, but the idea was that we weren't scheduled to be in at all because the budget was due Saturday, the 1st. They call us in. We sat around. We passed a bill to extend, making sure that we were paying our workers because it's not their fault, but we passed the bill to carry us through to next Monday. And the rumor already is, is that next Monday, all that's going to be is a repeat of this we're going to go back in next Monday, the day after Easter, to pass another extender. They are not close, you know it's like inside baseball, but you know, so a lot of listeners won't know this, but one of the key things that they have to establish first before they can really progress deep into negotiations is establish t- what are called table targets, which are you know bottom line toll dollar amounts that they have for each of the big chunks of the budget and they haven't been able to agree on table targets yet, and usually in the past. Once you have a table target, you're still a week, week and a half away from having a final budget. So we are way behind, and the the holdup reportedly, and and the buzz and the you know the rumor amongst all the members is what it's been in the news that this is about modest changes to bail reform. Kathy Hochul has suggested a very modest step to try to correct some of the disaster that was brought on a few years ago, and she's being met with resistance in both houses by the progressives in the Senate and the Assembly. They don't want to change anything. Uh, they're in denial that we have a public safety issue. They're in denial that they made a mistake a few years ago with the castles bail, the way that they're implementing it. And that is the holdup. And that's the first nominal that's got to fall before the rest of this starts to come into place.
1: Wow. Good analysis there, Senator Steck. You know, if you go back to early January, when Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives were picking a speaker and ultimately Speaker McCarthy didn't have the votes in the first, whatever, 15 rounds. And all yeah. you heard about dysfunction, dysfunction, Republicans can't figure it out. Well, they figured it out in a couple of weeks and, and I think we're better for it. But here you have uh, New York state, which is governed almost exclusively by left-wing Democrats, right? It's Carl Hasty in the yep. assembly, Andrew Stewart-Cousins in the Senate, and our great governor, Kathy Hochul. They're all in the same party, and you're telling us they haven't really gotten to square one on a budget, and they can't even agree on a, on a simple non-budgetary thing that's gonna be included in this budget, which has overwhelming support in the state.
2: Well, that's the thing is that the bail reform, what she wants to do is she wants to eliminate the least restrictive language uh, when it comes to setting bail, which basically would give judges discretion to hold people that are danger to themselves or to others. And it's overwhelmingly supported. Upstate, downstate, Republican, Democrat, all the polls say that the vast majority of New Yorkers want to see a change in this failed bail, Castles bail experiment that New York has undertaken. And as you pointed out, this is one-party rule. They've had their foot on the throat of New York State government for three or four years now. And if you look at the numbers, what the budgets have done since it's been one-party rule, we're looking at a number north of $230 billion. And again, Ooh. to give people perspective, yeah, because people don't. And when you and I got there, that number was in the $180, 185000000000 if I remember yes. correctly. So now we're looking at $230 billion, more than Texas and Florida spending combined, On a per capita basis, I asked my staff to pull these numbers because I I was really curious and I was surprised. We spend more than one and a half times per person than California does. So if you don't know what's normal out there and you start telling people we spend more in Texas and Florida combined, or we're spending one and a half times per person that California does, then people start to realize we got a big spending problem in New York State, but they can't get to the money part of it because they can't even agree on a simple change to make New Yorkers safe again or safer again with the cashless bail and a super majority of Democrats in both the Senate and the Assembly. So, you know, no one can point the finger at Republicans for holding this up. This is all internal. It's all behind closed doors and it's all on one party right now. And the most basic thing that we need to do as a state government in Albany, as you know, from your time in the legislature, probably 50 percent of all the work product that we do is really encapsulated in that one week budget process and those 10 budget bills. And they can't even, they really haven't started to negotiate yet.
1: That is outrageous. What happens if it goes to late April, May? Now, I know that's happened historically back in, like in the Pataki years, but it never really happened in my time. What happens if it drags on into late April and May or further?
2: Well, so you remember the the court case, the Pataki versus Silver, they got into a shoving match there legally over what happens when it starts to run late. And the courts ruled it really gave a lot more leverage to the governors that in these extenders, we passed an extender yesterday and it was a clean extender. It was just money just to pay our employees to get us through to the next paycheck. So there was no policy in it, but the tacky versus silver, that case established the governor's ability to say, all right, you want an extender to continue to pay the workers and, and, you know, and pay for programs. We're going to, here's the extender. Plus here's, here's another piece of policy in there. And so the governor can force their policy agenda on the legislature. So they do have a lot more authority to do that. So which is why the budgets haven't been so late lately is because the legislature knows that they don't hold all the cards anymore. The problem I think right now we've got, and we've all seen it, is you've got a new governor that's being tested by an increasingly progressive legislature with 10 years of pent-up Cuomo frustration. So imagine you've got (laughs) a legislature that's been furious, you know, dealing with Cuomo for 10 years who knew how to push them around. And now they've got an ability to get a little payback on who's next, and unfortunately for her, it's, and for all of us, it's Governor Hochul. So now they're they're really pushing her hard because they can. You saw what happened with the Hector LaSalle failed nomination. They, sure. You know, they, the Senate Democrats basically decided that they they're in charge of picking the next Court of Appeals judge and not the governor. And so now you've got Governor Hochul backed into a corner politically, where hey, she needs a win here. If, you know she gets rolled on the budget like she did on her. Judicial appointee, she's going to have a hard time governing. So I think she's drawn the line in the sand. And I guess, thankfully for us, she's chosen one of those things that she's drawn the line in the sand over is making these changes to bail reform. You know, she's got that. She's got, you know, a few other policy initiatives that she's trying to work on the housing one. I think everyone's a little skeptical of, you know, what she wanted to do as far as taking over, you know, authorities when it comes to mandating that communities construct more housing. And, but, you know, the bail reform, it seems to be. The thing that I think she's decided she has to have in this budget negotiation, there's been rumors that there's been movement, but we still don't have an agreement. And like I said, go back to those table those talks that no one table targets that no one ever talks about in the media. You know, it's kind of down in the weeds, but, you know, they haven't even hit those agreed on numbers yet so that they can really roll up the sleeves and then get into the nitty gritty part of the budget.
1: You're making me very happy that I'm a civilian again. That I'm, uh, yeah. that, I'm, that I'm not in public office, but I'm glad you're there fighting the good fight. Somebody asked me, It's was actually Joe Piscopo, the radio host, in early January when I, I just left office. He said, what's the difference now like, being in office, not being in office? And I said, well, when you're in office and you're in the grocery store, you know, grandma comes up to you and complains about the price of eggs. Now I'm another guy in the grocery store complaining about the price of eggs. You know what I mean? But yeah. you must get people coming up to you saying, what's going on with the budget? What you, pass bail reform. How do you handle I, I, all that? I,
2: I, all the time. Well, you know, well, the, the good news is, you know, the people that are stopping me, are for the most part, you know, they're frustrated, but they're going on with their daily lives. They know that it's a problem that I'm working on. It hasn't hit anybody directly yet because we're continuing to pay the bills and the lights are on. It's not that late yet. But, you know, but everyone knows, hey, April 1st is a magic deadline around here. And it's just so frustrating to try to explain to your constituents, try to explain to the taxpayers, you know, how 213 legislators and a governor and a staff, you know, and resources that would choke an elephant can't seem to get out of their own way and pass an on-time budget. You know, I mean, you recall the whole message of necessity. You know, I think the state learned that vocabulary back during the SAFE Act, where we learned, well, message of necessity is where you get to ignore the three-day rule for looking at legislation. Well, these messages of necessity are par for the course when it comes to doing a budget. So we'll come up with a budget they won't have three days to age. We won't have three days to get the phone calls from people saying, what are you doing? I don't like this, or I do like this, or how come this isn't in there? We'll get the deal, and then they'll just get, do a message of necessity because they don't want to hear from the public. And then we'll r- rush these things through in the middle of the night. That's a hell of a way to spend $230 billion of other people's money. But that passes for government in New York State. And people you know people know that the system's broken, but they've, they've come to accept it, unfortunately, or at least most of them. And and again, it's frustrating because you know, hey, we're spending more than Texas and Florida combined. You know, you know they're not third world countries. You know, maybe we've got some challenges they don't have, like we've got winter. But you know what? They deal with hurricanes. You know, people quickly say, well, we've got a much better school system. I don't know if our school system's twice as good as Texas or Florida's. I mean, why are people leaving here to go there to raise a family and build a business and you know, better their lives? Um, what are we doing wrong here? And you know, it's just it just seems like there's a just a desire to make political statements and, and control the electrification. Actually, now the governor was reported the other day starting to get cold feet and thicker shock on the cost of, you know, this electrification plan. And again, all you got to do is look around and see, well, what's happening in California? I mean, these are goals that are being set that are not feasible and they're not realistic and they're extremely expensive. And so now just, you know, the other day, Governor Hochul said, well, you know, I want to change the the way that we're doing the CLCPA enactment and that's got the environmentalists all fired up but she's finally realizing hey this is going to be super expensive you're talking about significant increase in gasoline prices and then heating fuel prices and electricity to build that electric grid infrastructure is going to cost tens of billions of dollars and, and you know to upgrade homes away from propane and and, and fuel oil into you know electricity that conversion is going to cost twenty to fifty thousand dollars a home. I mean, this is real money, and it's amazing to me that after years of having us and others, us on our side of the aisle, say this is going to be unaffordable and being ignored, now the governor, when the budget's late, is starting to say we need to revisit this energy policy because it's going to be too expensive. So, you know, now she's going to fire up the the left there in the budget negotiation. So this will be a new front for them to argue on. The bail front and now the environmental electrification front, you know, I mean where does it end? So this could go on for months. I imagine we would continue to spend past extenders, but eventually those extenders are going to start having her policy in it. And I don't think that the progressives are going to like that.
1: While you've been talking, I, I booked my moving truck to Florida. I can't take it anymore. I gotta get out.
2: <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> I really appreciate the
1: the honesty, Senator Steck, and giving us the real scoop on the, it's really like a dysfunctional quagmire times a thousand, you know what I mean? And and you explained it so well.
2: You and I've seen it. It's worse than than the budgets that you and I did together before you got out and went back to civilian life. And, And it's unfortunate, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. It's a very expensive way to run the state too. It
1: is terrible. We appreciate you being up there fighting. I know there's a lot of good people up there. Unfortunately, you guys are outnumbered, but keep fighting. You might break through on some key issues. And you guys are the only hope we have in New York State uh, right now oh, in this, in we'll this situation. All right, you Senator Dan Absolutely. Stack, Queensbury, New York, United States Navy, Clarkson University. You know, I sat next to the guy for years, so I know all, all about That's him. Right. Good man right there. Thanks a lot, Dan.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Karen. See you later.
1: You know, I I love baseball. I'm a baseball fan. I'm a baseball history fan. I'm a Yankee fan. And really, a great new documentary out by Reggie Jackson on Amazon Prime called Reggie. Reggie was an icon. Now, I'm born in 76, so I don't really remember Reggie's Yankees exploits. I have some flickering memories in 1981 World Series, but my memory there is more Dave Winfield, who was supposed to be the next Reggie having a, I think it was one for 21 in the World Series. but I like icons, I love Yankee history, and I've been a Reggie fan. I was at uh, Old Timers Day, I think it was the year Reggie was inducted into the Hall of Fame when he hit a home run. Old He was an old-timer, I mean, he was probably like 45, but he hit a home run over the fence. I don't know that I could hit a home run over the fence at Yankee Stadium when I was 25. Reggie's doing it as an old-timer, in an Old Timers Day game definitely a guy with a big personality a smart guy a savvy guy one of the first big free agents to kind of break the bank when free agency started but in this documentary so much good stuff i mean reggie jackson's reggie jackson so he has awesome friends there's a there's a whole segment about him sitting down with hank aaron these two guys hank aaron passed away since this documentary was made but great conversation between two legends two icons two sluggers And Dr. J, I never really associated Dr. J, the basketball legend with Reggie, but apparently they're good friends. And in the documentary, Dr. J says, I'm not even a baseball fan, but I'm a Reggie fan because Reggie's that kind of icon. There's not that many of those types of icons in sports that endure. I mean, Reggie hasn't taken a swing in over 35 years. And I was glued to this documentary about his career and his life. And one of the themes and one of those reasons for doing it was he's not happy with the pace of race relations and okay everything could be better i mean we could definitely make more progress in every area but he said something that has to be pushed back on he said after talking about his time with the i think it was the birmingham a's it was birmingham alabama team i think you were the a's and i think they were the minor league for the kansas city a's which became the oakland a's he said not much has changed since then well that is an incorrect statement i mean at that time bull connor was the sheriff there he was water hosing people there was Day, ure segregation, legal segregation. We're more than fifty years past that. Fifteen years ago, we elected a, a black man as president and re-elected him as black president, as president. And the captain of the Yankees right now, Aaron Judge, is a black American. His predecessor as captain, Derek Jeter, was a black man. So a lot, a lot has changed in every way. So I think that has to be pushed back on. Now, Reggie's thing is he wants more African-Americans in leadership in baseball as owners and executives. Okay, that, that's a place to, that's a place to work on. But I don't think it's accurate to say that very little has changed since Birmingham in the 1960s. I mean, great documentary, but that was, that was a foolish thing for the great Reggie Jackson to say. Every right to say it, and I have every right to, to counter it because a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets its boots on is what Winston Churchill is believed to have said, which attributed to him. Now, wrapping up, because we're running out of time, Richie also calls Billy Martin, who I'm a huge fan of, read every book there is on Billy Martin, calls him a racist multiple times in this, and says he didn't want to bat him clean up because he didn't want a black guy batting clean up, batting fourth for the Yankees. I don't believe that's true. I've never seen that anywhere else. Billy Martin's been dead for 30 years. He's not here to defend himself against that. But I'll, I'll give you a couple of facts that I just know from the baseball world some all-time great black players love Billy Martin as their manager. Ricky Henderson, love Billy Martin, one of the greats, the great base dealer, the great slugger, the great leadoff man, an Oakland A and a New York Yankee, and like 10 other teams. Met, too. Rod Carew, one of the great hitters of all time, loves Billy Martin, loved the his manager. Willie Randolph, the great Yankee, a Brooklyn guy, manager of the Mets, second baseman during those crazy Bronx Zoo years love Billy Martin. So I don't think it's fair to say that. I've never read that. It was a personality clash. It was a generational clash where Billy thought that the manager of the baseball team was the Supreme Allied Commander and that some new slugger could not you know, have a bigger role than than the manager. And he fought with the owner for the same reason. He didn't think the owner should make an on-field decision. So Reggie, I love you. I think you're wrong on those two counts. I highly recommend the documentary. Take it in. Think about it. Enjoy the great footage that I've never seen before and all those things. But I think it's important to set the record straight and we're going to leave it that right there. I hope you enjoyed the baseball season. I wish all the best to Reggie, Billy. We loved you. Battling Billy was the manager many times as I was growing up and be back next time. Cause we cover it all. We go to Albany, we go to Washington, we talk baseball, we talk history here on issues and interviews. Definitely download every week, the podcast, share it on social media, tell your friends about it and be back next week for the next installment of issues and interviews with Keir Michael Lawler.